text for this morning is John chapter 6, and we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 34. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? (laughs) Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Bless you. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Pray with me, friends. Lord, as we open your word now, the true desire of our heart is that we will hear your voice, that we will see the signs, that we will not miss the glorious salvation in Christ. God, be magnified. Teach us, grow us, lead us, shape us to your will. Forgive us our sins, for they are many. And let us find our life, our joy, our hope in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you can finally be seated. So what happens when you miss a sign? The context matters, right? What happens if a baseball player misses a sign? He's supposed to swing. He's supposed to bunt and he tries to swing. He might lead to an out, might lead to a double play. For those of you who don't have any idea what I just said, say you're driving and you fail to see a speed limit sign. You might find that missing a sign gets you a ticket for going 55 and a 35. But what if you miss a sign that tells you that the bridge ahead is out? Now you're in trouble, right? So we're picking up John chapter 6. We're going to see and evaluate two 
signs from Jesus. These are more important than any road signs you've ever seen. These are signs, they're miraculous actions that point us to the true identity of Jesus as the Son of God and as our only hope to be right with God. So let's not miss them. And while we study, we're going to find four things, four points for you to write down. Now, let's make sure that we remember where we left off. It's near the time of the Passover. Jesus has just fed a crowd of thousands with one boy's lunchbox. That's a sign we'll look at a little bit more today, by the way. And Jesus has slipped away from the crowd because the people wanted to force him to set up an earthly kingdom. Now, as the sun goes down, I want us to see something spectacular. Point number one, see the sign in the sea. See the sign in the sea. That's S-E-E, the sign in the S-E-A. Look at here, verse 16 and following. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. You know, the night has fallen, but Jesus has chosen to slip away from the crowd on the mountainside. He doesn't want them to try to drag him into some this-worldly kingdom mess. Jesus ordered the disciples, go to your little boat, sail away, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you later. The disciples, they probably wouldn't have liked this, but they did it. They only had a few miles of the Sea of Galilee to cross. We don't know how many for sure, but they're headed to Capernaum. That's where Jesus basically set up home base, right? If you think about where Jesus ministered from, especially in the north, it was always Capernaum. Now, I'm pretty sure the the disciples would have not really enjoyed leaving Jesus with that mob, but they did what they were told. Now, the Sea of Galilee, the way it sits among mountains that are around it, it can sometimes catch winds, very, very strong winds that can bring up very fierce storms. You guys can imagine living in the bowl that we live in here in Vegas. You ever notice how windy it gets from time to time? Imagine if you're in a boat on a little lake in that it's uncomfortable, and it was worse there. And the disciples, I mean, they, many of them were fishermen. They knew how to handle boats, but this is a dangerous situation. Verse 19 to 21 When they'd rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. If you read this in the other Gospels, you find out the disciples had been rowing all night. They were fighting against the wind. They were fighting against the waves. They had to be wet and just exhausted. And they'd only managed to travel about three or four miles. So they're clearly working against the wind and they're not winning. This was a dangerous storm. And now, if you don't let yourself see this in your mind's eye, you miss it. Something amazing happens. These guys are rowing. They're riding the storm out. And they look and they see something. It's a shape. It's weird. The lightning flashes. 
Maybe they get some glimpses. Looks like the form of a man. But that's impossible because the man's walking on top of the water. And the disciples are terrified, wouldn't you be? Then Jesus speaks to them, it is I. This is no ghost on the water. This is no sea monster. This is not the shade of a dead fisherman. This is our Savior. This is Jesus. He says, don't be afraid. And the disciples must have felt such relief. The disciples, they were glad to receive Jesus into the boat. You ever think about the fact of how little information we have here? We don't know what questions they're asking, like, how did you do that? We have no information about what did it look like when Jesus was walking atop a stormy sea? Did he just carve a path? Was he going up and down with the waves? We don't know what it looked like. We just know he was a man walking on top of the water. And what we know is this, in a stormy moment of fear, the disciples heard the voice of their Savior. And they welcomed him to be with them. Then we see another miracle. Immediately, the boat moved. It went from being tossed about on a raging sea to arriving in calm waters at its destination. Jesus calmed the sea. Jesus moved the boat. Jesus walked on top of the water. This is the fifth of John's seven signs. We already saw Jesus, number one, turn water to wine. Number two, heal a man's servant from miles away. Number three, heal a paralyzed man who'd been paralyzed for 38 years. And number four, feed 5,000 people with one guy's lunch. Now we've seen Jesus do the impossible again. A truly human man with a real solid human body just walked across a stormy sea to come to his friends. And friends, this reminds us that Jesus is God. So what do we do as we reflect on this miracle? I'll tell you, don't miss the sign. See the sign in the sea. Let me give you an everyday application first, and then we'll do something bigger. The disciples were in danger. They were afraid. They were exhausted. They'd not been able to get themselves to safety. And what did Jesus do when the disciples were in that state? Jesus came to them. Jesus performed a miracle to walk right there to them. Jesus spoke to them. Jesus let them know that he's right there. Jesus calmed their fears. Jesus got in the boat with them. And Jesus guided them exactly where he wanted them to be. You and I will face times of rough seas, exhaustion, and hardships in our lives. We'll face waves. We'll face face dangers from many every shape, every size, every form. Maybe you're facing a stormy life right now. Listen to me 
if you know Jesus. Jesus sees you. Did you hear that? Jesus sees you. Jesus is with you if you know Jesus. Jesus has already moved heaven and earth to save your very soul. He's not going to lose you. He's already shown you exactly who he is. So listen, believe him. Trust him. Invite him into your boat, into your pain, into your fear. Trust him. Be soothed by his love. Know that Jesus will ultimately take you exactly where he wants you to go. Let me take you to a bigger scale. And if you're, going, if you're a Bible page flipper, flip to Psalm 107 for this. We need to see in this sign the proof that Jesus is God. Because John is telling us a thing to make us believe that Jesus is the God of the Bible and that by believing in him we might have eternal life. So I want you to think about some words from the Old Testament here. In Psalm 107, verses 23 to 30. We won't stay here long, but I want you to see this because many never have. Psalm 107, 23. Have you guys found it? Okay, listen to this. Some went down to the sea in ships. Sound familiar so far? Doing business on the great waters, they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. The waves, they mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. The men, their courage melted away from their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men. It's hard to stand on a rocking boat. And were at their wits' end. Then they cried to, please look with me. Who did, to whom did they cry? Look and speak to me from this verse of the Bible. They cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them. Who delivered them? Who's he? The Lord. Be with me here. This is important. The Lord, he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he, who's he? The Lord brought them to their desired haven. The men in this psalm Those in danger on a stormy sea, they cry to the Lord. It is the Lord. It is Yahweh. It's the God of the Bible. He's the one who calms the waves, and he's the one who brings them to their destination. Do you see the parallels, friends? Jesus is the Lord. Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New. This is Jesus. You can go back to John now. I want you to add to this the fact that what we're experiencing here, it's all against the backdrop of what holiday? The Passover, remember? Passover makes you think about the Exodus. 
What have we already seen? We saw Jesus, God on the mountain teaching his people. That reminds you of God giving the commandments on Mount Sinai to his people. We saw Jesus, God providing food for a multitude in a desolate place. That reminds you of the manna that the Lord gave to feed the Israelites. And now you've seen Jesus, God in flesh, the Lord, miraculously bringing his followers across a sea, which should, of course, bring to mind the miraculous cross crossing of the Red Sea as Israel escaped slavery in Egypt. Do you see the sign in the sea? Jesus is loving. Jesus is kind. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is God. So come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Believe in Jesus for life. Unfortunately, not everybody's going to see the truth so clearly displayed for us this morning. Some see Jesus only as a means to earthly gain, not as the God who can save their very souls. So let's look at point number two. Seek spiritual life in Jesus. Seek spiritual life in Jesus. First it says, 22, on the next day the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. So again, you have this, meanwhile, on the other side of the lake... This huge crowd, they spent the night right where Jesus had fed them. Morning comes, and they're surprised because they knew the disciples left on the boat. They knew Jesus had gone the other direction, up the mountain. They assume that sometime this morning, Jesus is going to come back to them. But as the day dawns, as it goes, grows a little further along, they're without Jesus. They're without Jesus' disciples, and they don't know what to do. So many in the crowd get into some boats that had come there from Tiberias. We don't know why those boats came, but they're there. And they cross over to Capernaum because they want to see if they can find Jesus in the town where Jesus was known to minister. And then, verse 25 to 27, when they found him on the other side of the sea, probably in the synagogue, by the way, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So when the crowd gets there, they find Jesus. Hey! Again, Rabbi, that's a word that means teacher. It's a respectable, respectful word. When did you come here? They're curious. They cannot figure out, how did you beat us? How did you get here first? Do you know a shortcut? He did. They knew he didn't get into the boat with the disciples, but they had no idea that Jesus walked across the top of the surface of the sea because they didn't know the power of God that is the power of Jesus. Now, Jesus, I think, knows that if he tells the crowd, oh, I got here ahead of you by walking across the top of the sea, all that's going to do is stir in those people greater hunger for a this-worldly king. Now we've got a king that can make an amphibious landing on his own. You know, the, the, he can heal everybody, he can give us food, and he can walk us across seas without boats. This guy's good. Jesus does not want to start a this worldly army. 
So when Jesus answers the crowd, he doesn't tell them how he beat them to Capernaum. Instead, he rebukes them. They saw a miracle, but they missed the sign. And in missing the sign, they're missing the Savior. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. He pierces right there to the heart of the matter. They're not seeking Jesus because of the truth that the signs have revealed. This is God. The only reason this crowd wants to find Jesus is because they got a free lunch from him yesterday and they're hoping to get one from him today. And this is bigger than merely rebuking these people because of their greed. The point is bigger. It's more dangerous to the soul. Jesus reveals that they are only after that crowd. They're only after this worldly blessing. They're seeing with purely physical, not spiritual eyes. They're looking at Jesus as a physical savior, not as the God who can save their very souls. So Jesus offers a lesson. It's a command And those who hear this command will come to Jesus for life. The Savior warns, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And that contrast might have confused that crowd, but right here, sitting here this morning, I think the contrast is pretty obvious for you to see. These men should not chase after food that perishes. They should not chase after stuff that could spoil. Don't go after earthly and only earthly provision. Instead, seek after the food that will last forever and that'll give you life beyond this life. How would you get that food? Jesus said, this is food that he, the son of man, will give. Well, under what authority can Jesus do this? The Savior says of himself, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Back in chapter 5, we saw Jesus say that the Father has testified of his identity. Here again, Jesus says the Father has set his seal upon Jesus. He has approved of Jesus. He agrees that Jesus is exactly who Jesus tells us he is. He, God the Father, God the Son, they are perfectly the one God in union and united in the plan of God. The crowd has missed the sign by seeking earthly instead of heavenly food. I think you and I can see that if we want to learn from this, we should not be like the crowd, but should seek spiritual life in Jesus. And that's not a new lesson, not even for the gospel according to John. Think when Jesus talked to the woman at the well, right? Back in John 4, 14 and 15, Jesus said, whoever drinks of the water I'll give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She missed it. Jesus offered the woman water leading to life. Here, Jesus offers bread that leads to eternal life. Y'all, Jesus is not suggesting that the physical elements of water or bread have anything to do with the salvation of your soul. Physical food, physical bread can keep your physical body alive. Jesus is telling us, if you come to him, you get spiritual food and spiritual drink that will give you something much better than physical life. He's offering you eternal life. 
You know, one of the biggest mistakes that the nation of Israel made is they began to see their relationship with God as a thing completely focused on this world, their physical land, their physical kingdom, their physical descent. They looked at the law of God as a set of rules that they could obey thinking that that would keep God's favor on their physical nation. They thought that that would establish the nation. They thought it would build their kingdom. They thought that that would make them right with God if they just followed the rules. And they forgot when God made his covenant promise with Abraham, God did it when the only thing Abraham had done before is not obey the law. All Abraham had done was believe. The law of God came after God had already rescued Abraham's soul. Israel thought they could earn the favor of God by obeying the law. But all the while, the law proved that they were never going to live up to the perfection of God on their own. Quick side note. I had nothing to do with planning that our catechism reading would, would coincide with that concept today. But here's the Lord, again, teaching us things you need to know. You know, today many people make the same mistake that Israel made. There are people who think that if they do the church thing, they're going to force God to give them earthly things that they want. Y'all know folks do that, right? Now, how many of you, when I say that, are thinking about the charismatic prosperity preachers that are out there? People on TV with the makeup and the big hair? Now, I'll tell you for sure, those men, those women, they are dishonoring God by promising people health, wealth, and prosperity if they will simply obey a couple of rules and give a little bit of money and express a little bit of faith. But the truth is, besides those folks, many people who are not part of the prosperity gospel movement still let themselves believe that if they behave well enough, They'll get easy lives from God. And you might be one of those people. How many of you think that you're guilty of that? I mean, think about yourself right now. Do you think that you are guilty of thinking, if I behave well enough, God will give me the good things I want? All of you would tell me no if I asked you that directly. But ask yourself this. When things go hard in your life, Do you, when they're hard, just run to the Lord for comfort and hope? Is that all you do? Or, when things go wrong in your life, do you start fearing that maybe God's punishing you because you haven't lived up to the rules? Do you let yourself think that your standing before God is based on Jesus alone? Because it is. Or do you think that your standing before God is somehow based at least a little bit on your performance? Do you fear that your performance is what is costing you your earthly reward? Friends, thinking that your performance will make God love you more is a this-worldly religion. Doesn't the gospel teach you that nothing about your relationship with God is based on your goodness? It's all based on the love and the grace and the finished work of Jesus Christ 
And you've got to rest in that. Let me ask you this. Are you a Christian? Listen to me, if you are a Christian. There's nothing you can do that would make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less. Because his love for you is his choice from eternity past based on the good works of Jesus, not on the good works of you. Or maybe go another direction. What do you pray for the most? What do you want most from God? What do you think to yourself? Man, if God would do this thing, my life would be good. Is the thing you want God? Is it spiritual life? Is it spiritual blessing? Is it the return of the Savior and His kingdom's consummation? By the way, how many of you are willing to pray? Even so, come Lord Jesus. Or is the thing that you think would really make stuff good, is that something you could have without God if only you were given enough money and a good enough doctor? Friends, seek Jesus for Jesus. That was last week's point, right? Seek spiritual life in Jesus. He didn't come to earth two millennia ago to set up a physical kingdom. Jesus came to live the perfect obedience to the commands of God that you and I could never live out. He came to die the sacrificial death that would atone for the sins of all the people God would ever forgive. He came to rescue a people for God from every nation, every tribe, every people group on earth. Jesus came to spiritually establish the kingdom of God. So run to Jesus to find spiritual life. Turn away from sin. Believe in Jesus for the sake of your soul, salvation, and learn to want spiritual blessing from Jesus far more than you want the physical comforts of this life. And I'm not at all suggesting there are no physical blessings for the people of the kingdom of God. Sometimes God heals sick people. Do you guys know that? He really does. I don't believe he's given anybody a gift of healing like Paul had, but that doesn't mean that when we pray, sometimes people don't just get better. Praise God for that, right? Sometimes God provides for us. Sometimes God miraculously meets your needs with money or or other physical needs. Sometimes God fixes broken marriages. Praise God for that. Sometimes saved people will change their, their family or their town or their state or their nation. But the first thing that you should be seeking from Jesus is spiritual life and blessing because chasing the other kind of blessing before you chase Jesus is idolatry. Third point. Believe in Jesus to be saved. I've told you believe in Jesus could pretty much be a point of every sermon in John, right? Well, here you go. Verses 28 and 29. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So the crowd, they respond to Jesus' declaration with their own question. See, to them, this is a sensible question. But their question proves they are way missing the sign. 
What must we do, they say, to do the works of God? Crowd thinks that maybe Jesus is hinting at some law or some rule they haven't obeyed yet. Obviously, if they can follow this rule that Jesus has in mind, they're going to earn their way into the blessing of God, and then they can get this spiritual life so that then they can start figuring out how to establish this earthly kingdom that they want. Jesus responds with something utterly profound. He says, do you want to work the works of God? You want the favor of God? You want to know what must be done for a person to have the blessing of God? Believe. The work that works the works of God is no work at all. There is no work you can do. There's no work that I can do that would ever make you or me right with God. Instead, what God requires is that we believe in Jesus, the one God has sent. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam lived as a man who was under the requirement of works. Had Adam obeyed the command of God not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam presumably would have lived, right? Didn't that make sense? Adam would have been fruitful and multiplied, filled the earth, ruled the creatures, tended the garden, displayed the glory of God forever. But Adam failed And in Adam's failure to live up to the requirement of perfect works, though his was actually much easier than ours would be, the entire human race descended from Adam failed with him. Nobody was going to be born of Adam who could live up to the standard of God. Think about it. If you try to be perfect, how long do you last? See, this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus came to earth to fulfill the requirement of a perfect human life that would please God. Jesus, God in the flesh, was born under the law of God, and he perfectly kept all of its requirements. Thus, for all people everywhere, the way to be right with God is not for you to try to obey the rules. The way to be right with God is to believe in Jesus and to be counted as belonging to Him. Now, believing in Jesus will change you, and you will then want to follow the ways of God. But you will follow God's ways not so that you can obey laws. You will follow God's ways because you now have a desire to rejoice in and glorify the God who saved you. Hear me, friends. If you haven't yet done so, believe in Jesus. If you want your soul saved, put your trust in Jesus. Turn to Jesus as the only hope you've got. And Jesus, God the Son, will save your soul because of his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his glorious resurrection. Now, last point, point number four. See the sign in the bread of life. See the sign in the bread of life. Verses 30 to 34. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? that we may see and believe you. What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it, was, as it is written. 
He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So the crowd, as we are growing accustomed to see, missed the point. Does it surprise you that they missed the point? Well, how, how often have they missed the point so far? Oh, every time? Jesus has said, you guys have to believe. So they say, oh, how about a sign? Give us a proof that you're the one we're supposed to believe in. Now, in case you don't see how messed up this is, look at what they ask for for a sign. They point to Moses, they point to the Exodus, they point to the miraculous provision of manna, bread in the wilderness. How clever they must think they are. Hey, we're happy to believe in you if you do a little sign. Hmm, what could you do that might convince us? Oh, I don't know. Well... Maybe if you did something like what we heard about from Moses' day, maybe, maybe you could give us a little miraculous bread, huh? What had Jesus done yesterday? He gave them miraculous bread, and he threw fish in. These people are trying to get another meal out of Jesus and acting like, oh, that would stir in us true faith. They have no idea what they're talking about. They missed the significance of the sign. Yes, they saw the miracle. They missed the sign. And Jesus corrects them in two ways. First, Jesus says, you guys are giving Moses way too much credit. The miraculous bread that was in the book of Exodus was God the Father's doing, not Moses's. And by the way, Jesus points out that God is his Father. Jesus puts himself on equal footing with God the Father. He sets himself infinitely higher than Moses right there. And then secondly, Jesus says, by the way, the true bread from heaven, it's not manna and it's not bread at all. The true bread from heaven that'll give you life, it's a person. The bread from heaven is the person God is going to send from heaven to earth to give life to God's people. So like the woman at the well who missed what Jesus was talking about when he promised her the water of life, this crowd says, oh, give us this heavenly bread again and again and again. We'd love that bread. They're thinking Jesus is going to give them a, a substance, a magic wafer that will give them life forever. They can't imagine that the bread is something far, far different. The bread that gives life to your soul is Jesus. In the Old Testament, kings like David pointed forward, foreshadowing Jesus, the true king. The bronze serpent that was put on a pole that someone could look at to be healed of their snake bites, that points forward to the glory of, com- of the coming salvation by God's grace through faith alone apart from works. The Old Testament is full of things intended to foreshadow, to point to Jesus, to point to the gospel. 
quick, quick commercial here. April, what's the weekend of the women's retreat for you ladies? April 21st, 22nd, 23rd, I think it's in that range, right? What's Kay going to get to teach our ladies about? The tabernacle and how God used this tent, this really fancy tent in the desert to show you picture after picture after picture after picture of what he was ultimately going to do when Jesus came and fulfilled everything that foreshadowed. So ladies, if you haven't gotten in on the women's retreat thing yet, you need to talk to Kay, talk to Mitzi, figure out how you can be a part of this because it's going to be good. Now, as we wrap up this morning though, know this. Even the manna in the wilderness, you guys know about the manna, the bread from heaven in the wilderness? Even that, all through the book of Exodus, it is a type. It is a foreshadowing. It is a symbol to point you to Jesus. The people in the desert were helpless. They were going to die if God did not provide for their needs in a way that they could never provide for themselves. God provided bread that the people had nothing to do with providing for themselves. If they wanted that bread... All they could do is pick it up and eat it, right? They didn't, they didn't have to go make it. In Jesus, God has provided the only way for us to live spiritually. We did nothing to bring it about. We can do no good works to earn the favor of God. All we can do if we want to feast on the bread that gives life is believe in Jesus and let go of trying any other way to get to God. The crowds miss the signs. Don't you miss them? In the miraculous food, in walking the sea, Jesus has shown you that he is the God who made you. He's the God who rescued Israel out of Egypt. He's the God who's greater than your every need. So believe in Jesus. Run to Jesus to find spiritual life. Don't seek him as a provider of earthly baubles and trinkets. Run to the gracious kind, fear-calming Lord Jesus to have spiritual, eternal, that will grow into a resurrection physical life forever. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, you know the depth of our need. You know how much that we need you to take these pictures, these signs, these symbols, and make them apply You know how much we need to believe in Jesus. You know how many people here need Jesus just to calm their fears. How many people are in a boat on the sea of hard life and frightening emotions and they just need you to stop the seas and be with them and help them in their fear. I pray that you'll do that today. I pray that you will calm and comfort and encourage so many And there's others who are on a little spiritual treadmill right now because they think that they've got to keep being a better, 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 better person so that they can get you to do what they want. And that's not Christianity, that's paganism. Help them to stop to rest in you. I'm not saying to help them stop striving for righteousness. We want to live out the righteousness that you've already granted us. But I pray, Lord, that we will stop being 
afraid and we'll stop thinking that we can make you like us more by being good little boys and girls. Instead, I pray that you will help us realize that our hope for every bit of our lives is in Jesus and his finished work and your love is absolutely established. Help us rest in you, trust you, and love you deeply. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.